Isaiah is a wonderful book. There are so many incredible chapters that we find within the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 55. I was thinking this morning as I was preparing, actually this passage has been on my mind for actually three or four weeks as the Lord has been allowing me to allow this passage to go through my heart and, and uh, actually the Spirit of God doing some things in my own life um, and teaching me. But lots of memories come flooding back. One of the things that I think about is I am a person that likes to look at events that are coming and then I get wrapped up in the excitement of that event coming and sometimes I lose perspective on living in the now because I'm caught up in what is coming. Um, probably the greatest example of that is um, Christmas morning as a kid. Um, my anticipation for Christmas usually started around Thanksgiving and that I would always ask why I had to wait for four weeks before I could experience what I was excited about in light of Christmas. The food, the gifts, the giving of gifts, the music, the, that time of year was just always very much uh, real and, man, just really exciting for me. And so I've always been a person that looks at events that are coming and um, I have a hard time living in the present. So I, I just, I'm just that way. Um, maybe you're that way, maybe you're not, but I think for the most part, all of us are anticipating, as was shared this morning, the music was just wonderful and moving us into our text, but I'm anticipating the day when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom and I get a renewed body, but I'm delivered from this, this uh, sin that is still resident within me. And I find that I'm caught somewhere between the now and the not yet. And I think as we look at our text this morning of Isaiah 55, we are going to start in verse 6, but I think our text leads us into this as well. We have the nation of Israel that are anticipating what has been promised by Isaiah and the other prophets within the books of the prophets, anticipating a remnant that will return to the land, that will establish a kingdom, that will shine as a light to the other nations. And they're, they're wanting this not yet, but yet they're stuck in the now. How do we thrive within the now? How does Israel thrive in the now in their situation? And I'd like this morning to look at four ways in which we, as believers and followers of Jesus, can live between the now and the not yet. The context of Isaiah 55, if I could take you back to about a year, Isaiah, one of our pastoral assistants here, back last July, brought a message out of the book of Isaiah on Isaiah 55, 1 through 5, about the great invitation. And he encouraged us to understand the call to banquet, the call to benefit, the call to behold, and the call to believe. I think verse 6 picks up there very well, tying into this. So this could be really the great invitation part two. But I've entitled this message, Between the Now and the Not Yet. The context of Isaiah 55, if I could take you back a couple hundred years from the time of this writing, after Solomon's death, he had appointed, or at the end of his life, Solomon appointed his son Rehoboam to become the next king of Israel. Rehoboam listened to his younger compatriots, colleagues, rather than the aged wisdom of his father's advisors. 
and ended up splitting the kingdom of Israel into two. It was now no longer one nation with 12 tribes. It became the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And Rehoboam was the king of the southern kingdom, which often goes by the name of Judah. Israel, under the control of Jeroboam, their first king, is the ten northern tribes. The ten northern tribes never had a godly line of kings. Nineteen kings over his existence, nine different family dynasties. The nation of Judah, one family dynasty, many kings, some godly, some not godly. The nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, immediately went into idolatry and they became like other nations, which was what God did not want. He wanted them to be a nation that was different, that would be representative of him. In 721 BC, the northern kingdom was given over to the Assyrians and carried off into captivity, deported out of the land and planted across this vast landscape of the Assyrian Empire. But it wasn't but 140, 50 years later that the southern kingdom was deported into captivity to the Babylonians. The people of Israel were finding themselves either in captivity at this point or they were looking to the point where they were going into captivity. Israel, in this book, starting in chapter 40 all the way through the end of this particular chapter, sometimes it's called within the book of Isaiah, the book of the servant because it talks about this coming servant who would redeem Israel, who would give himself for the nation of Israel, give his life, and that would be the person of Jesus Christ, which comes to be fulfilled in the New Testament. But they were looking forward to this coming Messiah. Israel was struggling with living between the now, in captivity, or getting ready to go into captivity, but yet longing for the time when the Messiah, this servant, would come and deliver them and establish them once again as a nation. As we approach our text this morning, keep in mind the nation of Israel, but I think also we are a people who are caught between the now and the not yet. So I would invite you this morning to Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6, and we're going to look at four ways for us to live between the now and and the not yet. Our first point this morning is going to be dealing with recognizing the predicament of man. We need to understand our predicament of where we are. If you would follow along and read with me Isaiah 55 verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thought. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I want to draw your attention to these to the four words this morning, the idea of seek, the idea of call, the idea of forsake, and the idea of return. These words are descriptive of where Israel would find themselves in the now, but they are also descriptive of the ways that we find ourselves in the now. Seek the Lord, call upon Him, forsake your ways and your thoughts, return to the Lord. 
The idea here is not to seek new knowledge about God. The idea that is given here is to return to what you already know, meaning that you have forsaken God. And the nation of Israel at this point in time was already given themselves over to idolatry, to the worship of other gods. And the prophets in their language use very descriptive language, even using the word whoredom, that they had given themselves away to the other nations and to the other lands and the other peoples. This is a call to return. But this is a call also for us to recognize their predicament, but also for us to understand that the predicament that you and I live in, in the here and the now. Israel was in captivity or heading that direction because of their wickedness. They are told to forsake their ways and the unrighteous man, his thoughts, they were not in a good standing with the Lord. They needed to return. They needed to repent of their ways and return to God. But yet Israel wanted the not yet now. They wanted God to reestablish them as a nation and to return them to the land. But that's not what God had. That was in the future, the not yet. They needed to learn to live in the now. You see, Israel felt that their greatest problem was captivity, when their greatest problem and issue was themselves. We, as Christians, followers of Jesus, we're looking for the time when Jesus will return, and we're struggling with the now, because we see that our world that we live in is wicked and crooked and corrupt and depraved and going in the exact opposite direction from seeking God, and we want God now to come and to deliver us from this. But yet our greatest issue is not the culture in which we live in. Our greatest issue that we need rescuing from is from ourselves. We are wicked. Our ways are wicked. Our thoughts are unrighteous. We need to return and seek the Lord and call upon Him while He is near and return to Him. As followers of Jesus, we have been redeemed at the cross, our sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to the cross and forgiven and pardoned. But yet we still live today in the now, longing for what is to come, the not yet. And we still live with original sin residing within us. An original sin from Adam we still live with. We have not been delivered from it. We still have it. It has taken up residence in every part of our human constitution, our emotions, our mind, our will, our desires, our actions, and our reactions. We need to understand our predicament, and we need to be rescued from ourselves. Paul Tripp in his book, Dangerous Calling, which is a book written to pastors as a source of encouragement for them to, to continue on in ministry. But it's a reminder what he says here. It's a reminder for each and every one of us that we are broken and we are in desperate need of being rescued. Follow along with me or just listen as I, as I read. Paul Tripp writes, it doesn't matter who you are. You are at the same time a person in the middle of your sanctification. You are not free from sin and all of its attendant dangers. You still carry around moral susceptibility. 
You are capable of giving yourself away to disastrous things. You are capable of losing your way. You are capable of ungodly attitudes and dark desires. You have not been completely delivered from pride, greed, lust, anger, or bitterness. There are places where you are an idolater, where the agenda is being set by a desire for some created thing more than it is by your worship of your God. You do not always minister as an ambassador. There are times when you live with the attitude of a king rather than one called to represent the king. You do not always love God above all else. You do not always love your neighbor as yourself. You are not always kind and compassionate. You are not always patient and forgiving. There are moments when you love your little kingdom of one more than you love God's kingdom. There are times when you love comfort and pleasure more than you love redemption. There are times when your pride renders you unkind and unapproachable. There are times when you want everything to be about you. There are times when you're irritated by the very people that you are called to love. You are not proud of all your thoughts. You would not want others to hear all your words. You do things in private moments that you would not want seen in public. These things are true of me as well, and they give evidence to the fact that we are in desperate need of ministry ourselves. We as followers of Christ who proclaim the message of grace are in deep need of grace ourselves. We have not arrived. We have not moved beyond a moment-by-moment need for God's grace. We are not yet out of danger. We are not free from temptation. The war for our hearts is still raging. We still fall and we still fail. We simply have not arrived, but yet we are tempted to think we have because we buy into a false assessment of our spiritual condition. Because we are all tempted to be self-sufficient and to think that we are independently righteous, we are all attracted to an overinflated view of ourselves. We all tend to want to have our righteousness recognized and confirmed. We all want to be looked up to and esteemed, so we are attracted to the things that seem to define us as Christ-like and mature. In other words, we are all susceptible to having our definition of ourselves formed by carnival mirrors that are in every person's life. You know those carnival mirrors, the warped view of ourselves? Remember, no mirror that you look into to know yourself will ever show you the real you with clarity and accuracy apart from the Word of God. I am broken in need of God's grace. If I could give you an illustration, a couple illustrations of that this morning. I was on my way to a meeting this week, ministry meeting. Hop into my car, I'm going down the road, come to a stoplight. I'm in the left lane on a four-lane road. It's supposed to be the fast lane, right? 
get to the stoplight, cars are stopped, the light turns green. The car in front of me seems oblivious to the fact that the light turned green. Okay? I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and all of a sudden, out of my mouth comes, get off your phone. Anybody else done that? Okay? Then I'm still waiting. I haven't hocked my horn yet, but I'm still waiting, and out of my mouth comes, there's a gas pedal on the right. If you push it down, the car will go forward. About a mile down the road, the Spirit of God convicted me. Would I have said that to that person had they been listening? You know, I have married the sweetest woman in all the world. I married so far above my head that it's ridiculous. And uh, my wife, if you know her, she's the sweetest thing. Um, Until she gets behind the wheel of a car. She's in here this morning. She gave me permission. When our girls were little, she was driving down the road and somebody pulled out in front of her. And my sweet, gracious wife says, you nitwit. Not thinking anything of it, a couple intersections later, somebody pulls out in front of her again. And she hears this voice in the back of the car, one of our daughters, you nitwit. You see, even the sweetest, godliest people were broken in many ways. This really came out for me about four or five weeks ago. I love the game of golf, but as my father-in-law says, golf is a game that you love to hate because it also brings out the worst in us because it's that competitive nature that we have. God has gifted me with a great group of guys that love the Lord deeply, that we play golf together, and it's... uh, They allow Jeff to be Jeff, not Pastor Jeff. And I cannot tell you how important that is for me to have a place to land like that as a pastor. But yet at the same time, these guys have been very patient with me in my own brokenness. I am not a good golfer. Okay, I'm the first one to admit it. But yet sometimes I have a hard time understanding how bad I am. You see, to play golf, to get a par means you got the ball in the hole in the and the prescribed amount of hits, okay? Par three, you get the ball in the hole in three. Par four, you get it in four. Par five, you get it in five. If you do it in less strokes, it's a birdie. If you do it in more strokes, it's called a bogey. If you do it in two more strokes, it's called a double bogey. The group that I play with, we have a double bogey rule, probably for me, so that the worst score you can get is a double bogey. Okay? Again, I love the game of golf. It's one of the things that I get to do on a weekly basis that really resets me. I can walk off the golf course when I play good and go, I'm recharged. I'm ready to go back at it. Well, a couple weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, I'm on the tee box. Our group is called the Dew Scrapers. So we play golf when the sun comes up and we're out on the tee box and the ground's wet. Therefore, we're the Dew Scrapers. Okay, par four, first hole. I hit it right down the middle, right where I want it to be. I'm going, it's going to be a good day. Second shot, doink. About 30 yards in front of me. Third shot, doink. Fourth shot, over the green. Fifth shot, back up onto the green. And I missed my putt. So I should have had a seven. The guys gave me a six. It's the double bogey rule that we play by. Okay, 
I'm a bit frustrated at that point already. Like, that's not the way you start a round of golf. So, second hole, long par five. What do I do? I tee off and I put the ball in the trees on the left. Okay, I find my ball. I can't hit it out long because of the tree branches. So I punch out and I really punched it out and it goes across the fairway into the other line of trees. Okay, all these conversations are going on. Frustration, anger. You know, I'm not a happy guy at that point. Third shot. Hit it really good, but it drifts off into the woods on the left. By the time I get to the green on a par five, I haven't even taken my putter out of my bag yet, and I'm sitting at seven. Double bogey, double bogey. Come to hole number three. On our course, hole number three is a pond. Guess where my ball went? Yes. Right in the middle of the pond. So I'm hitting. On the other side of the pond, I'm hitting three already. Double bogey on hole number three. Hole number four. Somehow I salvaged a bogey. Okay, I've turned this thing around. Get to hole number five. It's over the elevated tee, over the water, onto the green. Guess where my ball went? In the pond. I walk off that hole with a double bogey. At this point, those conversations that I was having with myself are now being verbalized to the guys that I'm playing with. I am finding myself on the tee boxes standing further away because I don't even enjoy at that point being with myself. As the, the round continues, it does not improve. Neither does my behavior. It actually gets worse. My clubs don't go back into my bag softly. They go back into my bag very directedly. Bam! Clink, clink. Okay? Hit another tee shot that's bad. Hit the ground hard with my driver. I should have quit then. By the time I got to hole number 12, I had seven double bogeys. My round was a disaster. I was a mess because of my brokenness. And my tee shot, I'm like, I'm going to kill this thing. I'm just going to take it all out on this ball. Where does the ball go? It does a huge duck hook into the woods. I take my driver put my head cover on it, kindly put it in my bag. I look at the guys and I say, guys, I should have quit a long time ago. I'm done. My sanctification is far more important than the rest of this round of golf. And there was a great time of confession and repentance moving from hole number 12 back to the clubhouse where my car was parked. You see, I'm a broken man and my brokenness and the sin that is residing in me creeps out at times when I don't want it to, even in things that I greatly enjoy doing, okay? I could give you many more illustrations of this, but I think you get the point. I hope that you're making some connection points into your own brokenness, that we are broken. We are living in the now, but we long to be in this not yet, okay? I, I can't wait to get to heaven when I can shoot par. That's probably not going to happen, but... Seriously, I don't want my brokenness to spill out like that. Honestly, I barfed all over the golf course. It was not a pretty sight. How do I live between the now and the not yet? I need to understand and recognize 
that I'm broken. And that's the predicament of men. I don't need to be delivered from this broken world that I live in. I need to be delivered from myself. All right, now that I've gotten through all the positive part of the message, the negative part, okay, let me encourage you to look with me again at verses 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Please make note of these words that are used. My ways and my thoughts are, just, are in contradiction to the wicked ways and the unrighteous thoughts that we find in verse 6. God is completely different. The second way to live between the now and the not yet is to understand the particularity of who God is. Particularity is another word for unique, one of a kind, holy, other, self-sufficient, all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sovereign. We can continue all these descriptions. God is totally different than us. And this God who is totally different from us meets us in the middle of our mess. God met me in the middle of the mess on that golf course, walking back to my truck. With His grace and His mercy, His compassion. Israel was in captivity because of their rebellion, their idolatry, the violation of the covenant treaty that God made with them. And they wanted to possess the promised land of the promise and to, be, to return and to be the remnant. They didn't understand their brokenness. We long for the not yet. To be with Jesus in heaven, to, to meet our Redeemer and to worship Him. But we're in the now. And what do we do in the now? We need to return. We need to repent. We need to seek. We need to call upon Him. We need to return. This is such a rich verse. Look at the descriptors of who God is from our text this morning. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That he may have compassion on him. And he will abundantly pardon. God enters our mess, longs for us to find him, because he is seeking us, pursuing us. God is near. It doesn't matter how dark your life is or how wicked you've become. He can be found. He is near. And look, he is compassionate. He's compassionate, regardless of what we've done. It doesn't matter how dark our life is. It doesn't matter how much we've given in to dark desires that God has not designed for us. God is ready and willing to redeem. He's compassionate. But look at this last phrase that we have here. He will what? Abundantly pardon. Not just pardon, but abundantly pardoned. I am thankful for being pardoned, but abundantly pardoned. God longs to meet us in our mess, redeem us, and this is where verse 8 comes in. 
His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are His ways higher than our ways and His thoughts higher than our thoughts. We would never go to the extent that God has done and gone through in order to redeem us. But He did. He is uniquely, wholly other than any, anyone or anything. He longs for us to come to Him. Look, understand, our problem is not the corruptness of the world we live in. Our problem is our sin and our own depravity and our own need for God. But the invitation is there, is to come. He is near to call. He is there. This is illogical. If your faith is being built upon whether God is logical or not, you will never come to God. Because you are a finite being, I am a finite being, and we're trying to figure out in our finiteness and our brokenness, trying to figure out God's logic. We don't need to figure out God's logic. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Why would He redeem us? It's not logical. And if faith was built upon you understanding it, you would never come to Jesus. It's by faith. It's by faith. How do we live between the now and the not yet? Understand your predicament, number two. Understand the particularity of God. And if we could, number three this morning is to see the purposefulness of God's Word. Verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the winner, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The illustration here is rain and snow, okay? We need rain and snow, correct? Rain and snow water the earth. It allows things to sprout and bring forth fruit so that we have the sustenance that we need to live and to eat. God provides rain and snow for our sustenance. God provides His Word for us as our spiritual sustenance, that which we need to live between the now and the not yet. I am so thankful that over four decades ago, a young man took me aside as a teenager, and showed me the importance of being into God's Word in a regular basis, showing me how to read God's Word and study God's Word. And I have not wasted one minute or one second of my time over the last four decades with my time in God's Word. It has multiplied and multiplied and multiplied and radically changing my heart. It still does when I fall into my own brokenness. God's Word draws me back. Understand that the Word of God is not just a holy book. It is the very words from the very mouth of God Himself. God wanting to reveal Himself to us. Self-disclosure so that we would understand who He is, so that we would seek Him and would want to know Him. 
Everything that he has done is based upon his character. Everything that he said in his word is based upon his character. It's true because God is truth. It is correct because God is correct. It is the answer for our life because that's the way that God designed it. What is your habit of being in God's Word? Is it just a checkbox or are you looking every week to find out where your Bible is or are you just not in God's Word? How do I live between the now and the not yet? I must immerse myself in God's Word. God's Word, as our text tells us, it, it will return to God with results. It will not return empty. It will accomplish that which God has purposed, and it shall succeed in the task designed. God longs for us to be like His Son, Jesus. God longs to restore us, new creation theology, back to what God designed mankind to be in the garden. It only happens through our time with Jesus and living in His Word. The fourth way to live between the now and the not yet is to anticipate the promised transformation. You see, Israel was not wrong in longing for that time where they would be returned to the land as a remnant. That is not wrong. But they were focusing on that and their problem was themselves, not the captivity. One day, heaven has been promised to us. We will be delivered from this body that is decaying, from the brokenness of our world and our culture, from our own sin. Look at the illustration that is provided here in verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. We have some songs that have been based on this, but anchored within the understanding of what this text is telling us, this idea of go out and lead forth. This is Exodus language. Going back to Israel being delivered out of captivity from Egypt. God led them forth out of there. They, they went out with joy and they were led forth in peace. They were led by a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. God led them out after showing his mighty hand and outstretched arm, making himself known not only to the Egyptians, but to the Israelites and to the entire world. Anticipating this deliverance for the nation of Israel. But look how this is described. The mountains and the hills shall bring, break forth into singing. That's miraculous. The description that's used here. The trees of the field clap their hands. All of creation is longing for the day that Jesus returns and renews his creation. And the mountains will shout with joy and the hills will break forth into singing and the trees will clap their hands. What an incredible day that will be. That will be far greater than anything that we know. But look at verse 13. This is a verse that is often overlooked. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. This is a picture of, the, of a thorn and a picture of a cypress. A thorn bush does not turn into a cypress. 
unless God does it. A broken, depraved sinner does not become a child of God unless God works the miracle. We are not delivered from ourselves and our original sin that is still resident within us apart from God stepping in and providing us with redemption with Jesus. We are talking here about a total transformation. It doesn't matter what kind of mess that you've got yourself into. Where your dark desires have led you, there is nothing that the blood of Jesus Christ has not already paid for. Your sins on the cross were paid for past, present, and future. Your darkness, your life can never shadow the light of the truth of Jesus Christ. We are caught, you and I, between the now and the not yet. You may be somebody here this morning that needs redemption. You have not come to a place where you've given, surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to raise the white flag and wave it and come to Jesus. If you haven't done that, please come talk to one of us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, where are you in this ongoing need for transformation? Does God have your life? Does God's Word ring deeply into your heart and your soul and your mind? And it's in the process. He is in the process of transforming you. Are you bothered when your brokenness comes out? And What are we doing with it? Are we in this process of transformation? We live in the now. We look forward to the not yet. But are you doing what you need to do? Maybe you need more ongoing transformation. Our big idea this morning, God's grace through Jesus Christ is ready to rescue, to redeem, and to transform. And the question is, will you yield your all to Him? Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we bow before you, recognizing your great sovereign authority over all things. Understanding, Father, that your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. And Father, you have chosen in the middle of our mess to provide redemption in the person of Jesus. And Lord, for us as believers, we are still living with residing sin within us. And Father, we long for that transformation that you would weed that out and that you would make us more like your son that we may represent Jesus Christ here in this broken world well, that we may thrive in this period between the now and the not yet. Father, I pray that if there's anybody that doesn't know Jesus today, that they would take the time to seek one of us out. If there are other needs, Father, I pray that you would lead them to and move them to come and speak to one of us. Father, we thank you for all of your goodness. We thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for entering into our mess. Thank you, Lord, for continuing to refine us in our mess. Father, we thank you for all that you have done. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.